When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome back to the H2P podcast here on DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network. I'm your host, Gary Morgan. I'm all amped up from the hockey game and hockey season opening. So I have to announce the beat writer for Pitt Athletics here at DK Pittsburgh Sports in in a hockey style. Corey Christen! (laughs) That's not a point. Party hard. All right, I'll keep going. Absolutely. Oh, hockey's back. That's not what we're here to talk about, but I'm thrilled for the Pens. And that's well, you are all filled with you're all filled with Carolina Gold barbecue sauce. I'm betting. Mm. So let me let's talk a little bit about. Well, hold on. Before we go any further, let me address the food. Okay. There was some barbecue sauce. There were some collard greens. There were some mac and cheeses. Okay. You got to love Southern cooking. You have to. Got to. Especially anyway, that so low country stuff. Low country stuff you, is the best. Didn't mean to cut you off, but if you're talking food, I mean, that's number one. Uh, I think we both probably push the scales. So I, <laughs> food, food could be a pretty good conversation for us. If we really wanted to, we got bored. But there's always something going on. So let's talk about your recent trip down to the ACC Hoops Media Day. Um, was it as eventful as they typically aren't? Mm, it was. Uh, from the newsworthy standpoint, it was. Um, obviously, when you get to a setting like this, the t- on a team-by-team basis, these storylines just come up. They surface. You know, you, you talk to coaches, you talk to players, you take the temperature of the program, the team. Um, you, you And the big thing that you get to do here is you get to kind of discuss the larger issues that are surfacing around, whether it's the sport or it's the team. And of course, when, you know, the commissioner of the ACC, Jim Phillips, when, you know, he talks about expanding the college football playoff and expanding the NCAA tournament and expanding and NIL and realignment and all this other stuff you know of course you're going to want to get some reaction from the team when it comes to Pitt, however there really wasn't much of that because of another situation that's going on and obviously with the um awaiting of the trial of uh the preliminary hearing i should say of dior johnson you know we had to ask jeff capel about it and uh he gave his his response and we put it on the internet and let people read it so you know it was a worthwhile trip from a newsworthy standpoint, obviously, but you know, just a fun, fun way to get down there all together. Um, you know, these events are well, as awesome. a fan, mm-hmm. as a fan and not a reporter. I mean, I'm a proud member of the fake media, so I have gotten to go to a few of those things on occasion. But usually the thing I look for is what's the pulse? Like, what is everybody kind of feeling is the best squad out there? Because the ACC, we talked about the Blue Bloods kind of turning over a little bit with Coach K retiring. 
who seems to be the front runner? Who's the the buzz that everybody's thinking about? And don't no. say Bayheim because I'll t- I'll call you a homer for sure. <laughs> no, it's not going to be Syracuse this year. Um, Syracuse's job is to make the NCAA tournament as a ten seed or higher, and then somehow get to the Sweet Sixteen. That's what they do. That's their brand right now. Um, <laughs> sure is. Best, I'll put it. I'll say a declarative sentence. North Carolina will win the ACC this year. Um, I think their starting five is going to be the best in the league. I think Armando Armando Baycott's a stud. Um, I think the core that they have coming back is amazing. Obviously, from that NCAA tournament run that they made as an eight seed, um, you know, going through Baylor, going through UCLA, going through the all-time greatest Cinderella in St. Peter's, you know, and <laughs> Hubert Davis, you know. It's, you talked about, you know, Coach K leaving Duke. You know, you got Hubert Davis taking over for Roy Williams not that long ago. And he's already done a fantastic job with that team and, of course, with the recruiting, too. So I think it's North Carolina, draw the line, Duke, draw the line, and then you could start filing from there for, for your ACC favorite. So even with all the change, the ACC basketball-wise – doesn't sound like it's changing very much. Those are the teams that are always the ones to look out for, the marquees, the blue bloods. Mm -hmm. Sounds like they're going to continue to be blue bloods. Oh, of course. I don't see any drop-off from any of those. And then, of course, you know, you have programs that are looking to make the next next step. You know, you could put, you know, you could put Syracuse in that conversation – you could put quite a few teams in that conversation, and then there's obviously your teams that are in the uh, you know that fourth tier of the conference, if you will, and you know that's debatable about right now where Pitt's at. You know they're definitely not one of the top tier teams in the ACC. They just aren't. You know they're not right. on a Carolina or a Duke level. Um, you know they're 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 still quite a ways away, and obviously the situation surrounding Dior Johnson helps nothing when it comes to that. So. Um, we'll see what happens. And obviously we have, we have hoops coming up. November 7 is opening night and, uh, they have a while to prepare for that still, you know, but we're getting into that final month and all that anticipation, at least building up. Did see some reports that it looked like, uh, John Hughley was going to be healthy though for, um, opening of the season. At least they think that'd be huge if he was, I mean, you have Will Jeffries, who we knew and the team announced that he was going to miss some time in, you know, training camp with a foot injury. And, you know, we knew we have uh, Nike Sabande coming off of his injury from last year and where he's at. And, you know, Hughley is the leading scorer. He's the leading rebounder. He's the leading everything for that team. And they need him. So, you know, especially so much so with Johnson and him right. probably not playing for, you know, a long time, if ever. So we'll see what happens. We still have a ways to go, but we're, we're definitely getting there. Yeah. I mean, all in all though, I mean, you kind of were walking around the floor a little bit. What other interesting storylines did you see from other clubs? Because obviously Pitt had one that with a bad basketball team, that's all they're really going to get asked about. So what did you see elsewhere? Well, the one thing I looked out for was, the transition from Coach K over to John Shire. And there's no secret that Coach K had the succession plan in place. 
It was going to be Shire's team. He's 35 years old. He was an All-American with them. You know, uh, what was that, like 2010 it had to have been? Around that area, like 2007 to 2010. I mean, he's he's been on the assistant. He's been an assistant on Coach K's staff for a decade. He is Duke basketball. And I was curious on a level of how Shire would handle this first go around and it's just media day, right? Like we still have, you know, 30 plus games to play in a college basketball season, but sure. handling questions about the maybe pressure about succeeding coach K and the, you know, ability to maintain that program. I mean, Duke had the number one recruiting class in the country. Duke pulled in the two top players in the country from that recruiting class this year. Um, and, you know, Shire has – he has egos to manage. He has a team to manage. He has rotations to create. He's got probably a few one-and-dones in there, a prospective one-and-dones that want to take that next step right away. And look, he's not going to be Coach K. You can never expect that, right? I mean, this is the greatest college basketball coach ever. We're talking about retiring here. But at what level does Shire make that next step? And at what level does Shire – maintain and level off Duke's program. I don't think Duke is going to be, you know, I don't know if they're going to win the national championship this year. They certainly have, you know, a talent. They certainly have the talent for it, but I don't know if there's going to be a drop off. I don't know if Duke's going to be better with Shire. That's never out of the realm of possibility, but I thought he handled things well. You know, he's well aware of what's going on. He's well aware of what he has. He's well aware of Kind of what he has to do. And again, being an assistant under Coach K for as long as he has, you know, of course he's going to have that. So I, I, I thought that was really neat getting to see Shire kind of take that spotlight for, for that. Well, good. Let's let's take a quick break here. When we come back, let's talk a little bit about what the commissioner had to say about expanding the tournaments and, and whatnot. I think that's pretty interesting. Welcome back to the H2P podcast here on DK Pittsburgh Sports. Corey and Gary with you. And now we're going to talk a little bit about what the commissioner had to say. Because as much as we enjoy booing commissioners when they make general statements that don't mean anything, it's pretty important when they speak. And Corey, he had some pretty interesting things to say. So let's go over those, especially the expansion of the NCAA basketball tournament potentially. Sure. So on a blanket level, to start just a brief note on the on the football, it's obviously changing over in 2026 with the expansion of the format. But Commissioner right. Phillips is saying there's a lot of push. This is the quote from ESPN.com from uh, Jeff Borsello, great reporter. There's a lot of push to expand it in 2024. So that's interesting. Now with basketball, okay, I – I don't know, because you have 68 teams in the field right now. You have, you know, all your conference tournament champions, which there's a lot of them. You have a lot of at-larges. And then you have, of course, your, you know, your eight play-in teams, you know, just to arrange it that way. And then obviously it gets narrowed down to 64. 
But yeah. Jim Phillips, ACC commissioner, saying, quote, it's time to look at expanding the tournaments. Now, the commissioner of the SEC, Greg Sankey, the Southeastern Conference, in August he told Sports Illustrated that he was willing to take a quote-unquote fresh look at it. So since then, of course, you know, here comes all of the debate and all the commissioners get asked and whatnot. Right. So Phillips said to ESPN, you know, it's the crown jewel of our championships. You can't duplicate this, You, but you can't be respectful of messing it up. And it's in a healthy place, but there's also the concept of being progressive and keeping in mind that, you know, when the tournament expanded to 64 teams, let's go when even it was 48. How many good teams were there in college basketball? Like 55, roughly? If now, that. You ha- now you have a field of 68. Of course, it's expanded by 20 by that point. But your field of good teams, and I mean, maybe the conversation gets even more stirred up when you have teams like St. You know, Peter's and teams like, I mean, George Mason back in the day and all these other Cinderella's popping up uh, old dominion when they, when they beat Ohio state in the first round, not long ago. Sure. And you have all of these other little programs that are suddenly getting good players. And of course, transfer portal NIL, all of this comes into play as factors. So when we're talking about a 68 team playoff, when there's now probably double the amount of quote-unquote good teams in college basketball with good talent, of course they're going to look at expanding that. And am I necessarily in favor of it? I'm on the fence. What about you? I mean, I got to be honest, Corey. I think that every time we talk about expanding playoffs, and this is really across sports, I, I always feel like they miss the boat. They're always trying to, to make sure that there's not that one controversial team that should have gotten in that didn't. The problem is always that it's a subjective matter, them getting in in the first place, especially in college athletics. If it was based on, you know, division championships and, and, and whatnot, no matter what level you are, I would have much less problem with it. Like, and I, I mean, like they could take it all the way to, division one double a and i'd be happy if it was division winners Mm -hmm. the way they're doing it right now it's it's bubble this and bubble that and you know a school gets in on prestige and i just i personally think there's plenty of games already um if they're gonna add to it i'd like them to get away from the thursday friday saturday sunday format and like expand it out during the week not wait an entire week to play the championship game. I, I think March Madness is better when it's punchy. And when you start getting to the point where like now it's dragging on for a month and a half, you're not going to keep, you, let's just say you're not going to have men scheduling vasectomies for it anymore. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh God, that was good. Um, you're going to lose your casuals. If you do, yeah. if you, if you, if you strain it, if you, <laughs> if you strain it out too far, I'm, I'm lost on that one. Um, <laughs> if you, if you string things out too far and if you take that chunk of March and that little bit of April 
to space the tournament out. And of course, again, you mentioned it, you do have to travel a bit. Like there's, there's a little bit of, you know, pumping the brakes on, okay, they have to travel. They have to get used to everything. It's college kids, you know, the, the environment, you got to get them acclimated, whatever it is. Right. And I think there's something to be said about the point that is being made where you have 68 spots for probably 120 teams. What I would say to that is, look, there's going to be a point where sponsors are going to kick in with more and NIL is going to kick in with more. And it's going to come, it's always going to come down to money. It's always going to come down to the dollar and TV contracts and advertising and all that. So how much are these networks looking at CBS, looking at true TV, looking at TNT, looking at Turner, looking at all that, how much are they going to be willing to pay? And how much is, I don't know, pick a company, Coca-Cola, you know, going to pay for more ads and how much is, uh, whatever it may be going to pay for, you know, it's going to come down to that eventually. And how many teams money will be the reason are they going to be able to do it? Money will be the reason it happens. Just like the NFL adding a seventh playoff team to each conference. Money is the reason that happens. It's not unfairness or anything. It's, it's money. We all know that. I'm just not sure that the product itself will sustain another big jump like that. You add another weekend. People already don't pay attention to the play in games. I mean, you fill out your bracket. When yeah, but when you fill out your bracket, you're barely thinking about those play-in games because they they don't matter unless you're me. You know, it's <laughs> it's just not something that that I think is necessary. But I do understand it's going to happen, so I, I guess I'm just resigned to it at some point. I just think that um, trying to keep the nation's interest for an extra week or however long is probably a lot to ask. Well, here's another thing too. If you're going to put in, let's call it 80 teams, okay? We're going to add, we're going to add 18, we're going to add 12 more teams to this field. That would be what? Well, I guess it wouldn't make sense. So let's call it 84 teams. So you can add 16 more. So you can have four in each, you know, side of the bracket. If you're going to add that many more teams, let's say it's, I'm going to use one of my alma mater's example, Youngstown State, okay? Horizon League, mid major. Right. You know, will they make the tournament? Will they not? They wouldn't make the tournament unless they won the Horizon League championship. So if Youngstown State gets in as a, uh, what would it be, 18 seed, and if they if they go and play Memphis or if they if they go play Duke or Kentucky and get flatlined, then obviously no one's going to want to see that. Like they're like, oh, yeah, of course they were going to lose that game. Is it going to take more? St. Peter's is? Is it going to take more George Mason's? Is it going to take more of these schools that are stacking some of this talent that pull off these Cinderella upsets every year? And again, you mean the teams that the teams that, that aren't in danger of the NIL screwing them because they, they, their players aren't necessarily that kind of class. Mm -hmm. They stay together and develop as a team for four or five years And then once they're all seniors or graduate seniors, then all of a sudden they have a team that can come in and shock the world every once in a while. And that goes back to the Pirates fan. That sounds a lot like a window to me. (laughs) (laughs) 
but but that does open and close windows frequently for some of these mid majors. You know, right. at the end of the day, this will benefit the mid majors. You know, you, you might sure. have. What, what do you have uh, as far as what was it? Seven or eight ACC teams made it in last year. However many it was. Let's say you add two right. more or one more per power six, right? If you're gonna add, if you're gonna add sixteen more teams, let's say six more power six make it or eight half. That gives you room for eight more mid-majors and then at-larges within like the Horizon League and the SWAC and the MAC and like all these other leagues. So, and that comes back to the portal where if Joe Smith is not happy at Duke because he's not getting playing time and he's a junior, then he'll transfer to wherever it is. Maybe it's a mid-major and he becomes a star there and then you get to see the Joe Smith revenge game in the first round. I mean... That's what this opens, and it's it's all good for the sport. All of this expansion talk is good for the sport. Same with football. And you, you talked about bubbles. I mean, fact of the matter is you're going to have a bubble, whether it's 68 teams or 100 teams or 1,000 teams. It doesn't matter. There's always going to be a bubble. So, yep. you know, it's and just not a to break any hearts here, but it. Pitt's going to be underneath it for a minute here, I think. So <laughs> not, you might be right. I'm not too concerned about that. Um, We should probably pivot to football here a little bit, I think. Um, We have uh, a couple things we want to talk about. The Louisville matchup coming up, and we wanted to talk a little bit about some of the, uh, I guess we could call it mid-season, even though it's probably not technically, but it's the bye week. We wanted to kind of talk about what we think they need to improve on, and I think talking about Louisville is going to lead us into that. So let's take a quick break, come back. Let's hammer some football, huh? Welcome back to the HTP podcast here on DK Pittsburgh Sports. Corey and Gary with you, and let's start out talking about some pit football, even though they're off this week, which enabled us to record on a different day, and that's pretty nice. Yeah, we've got um, to adjust a little bit. Yeah, we, we've definitely been playing tag today, huh? Mm-hmm. So, Louisville Cardinals. I mean, you wanted me to look up some players that, that I was concerned about, and I've watched them a little bit because I actually kind of like their team. But it all starts and ends with Malik Cunningham, really. I mean, yeah. he's their leading rusher. He's their leading passer. He's, he's their leading everything. So as Malik Cunningham goes, so too do the, uh, the Cardinals offense. And that seems to be the main guy you have to stop. And on defense, it's really Kendrick Duncan. He's kind of their leading tackler. But what do I always say about a leading tackler who's a defensive back, Corey? <laughs> Boy, I love running against teams whose who's, uh, best tackler is a defensive back. And those of you who have been watching the Steelers the last couple of years know that Minka has been leading the team. And there's a reason for that. Mm-hmm. Because that's where the running backs get before contact happens. Well, uh Malik Cunningham is not going to have a, a steel plate in his shoe this weekend or next weekend on after the bye. By the way, Louisville and Pitt both on bye weeks. So uh, pretty interesting dynamic there. 
Uh, you're right about Malik Cunningham. It obviously starts and it ends and it revolves around him. Louisville's 3-3, three and three, and well, who was it, Bill Parcells that said you are what your record says you are? Yeah. Louisville's the 3-3 three and three team. I mean, you get pounded by Syracuse. You lose by four to Florida State. You pound uh, South Florida. You beat Central Florida. You lose by one to Boston College. And then you double up Virginia. So Louisville's literally the definition of a 500 ball club that has not, they don't have everything all together, right? They don't have like any blue chippers. They don't have anybody that's like going to wow you except for the quarterback, for the most important position in sports. Yep. So. And he could take over the game mm-hmm. or, you know, if Pitt's defensive backs hold up and somehow the line holds contain, you know, they, they could probably keep that offense to next to nothing. Well, it's, it's that stark. And when you say yeah. 500 team, that's what a 500 team looks like. And then when you're going against a team like Pitt, who can be ripping hot or could be ice cold at times. We've seen both ends of it this year, where they're ripping hot and they're ice cold as a team. Which pit team comes out of the bye week? Do they come in with a fire lit under their seat of their pants, or do they come out, yeah, we're off a bye week, we're taking things kind of easy? I don't know what we're going to see. And obviously, Gary, it all starts with Keaton Slovis. How does Keaton Slovis take this bye week come back on Monday and practice and come back on Tuesday and build upon Monday and go forward that way. What does Keaton Slovis have to do to take that next step that we're beckoning him to take to show us that he is that quarterback that we saw at Southern California, which by the way, I don't think we've ever brought this up. His receiving core at that school was ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, Amon Ross St. Brown, Michael Pittman, uh, Drake London. I mean, you want three studs to throw to. There they are. But very, anyway. It was very good, but he also, I've watched USC. It, he had a lot more confidence of, about himself, it, it looked like. You know, there was a, mm-hmm. a much more step into the throw for him. Mm-hmm. in USC than there, than I've seen in Pitt. And maybe that comes down to not trusting the offensive line, but it seems to me he almost just doesn't trust his own arm strength to get the ball there. And mm-hmm. it, it's it's hurt him several times because he he's he's waiting until guys are so far into their pattern before he makes the throw that it gives the defensive backs too much time to catch up and every catch has to be contested because of it. Well, that's the number one thing. It's not arm talent. It's not his ability. It's, I said it last week, the space up here between his ears. It's all about Slovis having the confidence to make those plays and the trust in the confidence in Jared Wayne and Kanate Mumfield and Bub Means. It's also the receivers doing their job to get open, which we know they've struggled with. Um, Sure. It also is a little bit to do with the play calling, which hasn't been the cleanest from Frank Signetti. There, it's a mix of a lot of different stuff. But if you have the quarterback that can play through some of this stuff, 
then you have a quarterback that can play through some of this stuff. I mean, there are some quarterbacks that are foolproof in some ways. Kenny Pickett was foolproof. Keen Slovis is not foolproof right now. And can he be? Based on talent, I think he I think he has more than what we've already seen from him. It's just a matter of putting the rest of that stuff together. It's setting him up for success too. It, again, you know, I don't want to I don't want to harp on the play calling because I mean, there's enough of that at the pro level. It's it's difficult to watch sometimes though because you see a kid that I do believe has incredible arm talent. You also see just from a formation how many options he's going to have to use it. And it's it's difficult to imagine him really breaking out when you're only sending like two guys out in a route when you need 10 yards. That leaves the entire secondary to cover those two guys. Yeah. You know, or you're going to hit a screen pass to Izzy or something. And, you know, he's fast, but linebackers are going to catch him. You know, it's not as though it's it's he, he's that much faster than everybody else on the field that they can't get to him. It's it's good. It's just something that that has troubled me all season, because I, I feel like it's hard enough coming into a new system. It's really hard to come into a new system and then not be put in situations where you can actually excel. You're not even given the opportunity to fail. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Now, look, with, with Israel Banikanda running the way he is, I mean, he's ACC Offensive Player of the Year as we sit here today. He is special. He's put, having a special season. There's something to be said about him doing this while Keaton Slovis is struggling and while you know Frank Signetti's struggling to create the, help him create those opportunities. If Banikanda wasn't doing what he's doing, where would Pitt's offense truly be? That's another show. I mean, we don't have to breach that right now that's another show but yeah but but there's something to be said about having that run game at least there to support obviously Pitt's going to be a run first team like that's just how this is going to go this season and Keen Slovis is not going to win the Heisman like <laughs> you know Clearly, yeah. it's, it's just not going to happen it, even if he if from this point forward if he threw for 350 a game and three touchdowns and no interceptions I mean it's not going to happen it's foregone but there's still like I think it's I think it's internal in a way, and I'm not saying like the pit locker room is like ready to overthrow Slovis because they're not. That, that's not what I'm saying. Sure. What I'm sure. saying is I think they are very aware of where the mistakes are coming from and where the improvement needs to be and what Keaton needs to do. They're not gonna blast him publicly, of course not. They they're gonna back him up as best they can. And I'm not insinuating, again, I'm not saying like, oh, they they hate playing with Keaton Slovis because they don't. But I think there's something to be said about this team kind of waiting for Keaton to come around. Is that what is what I'm trying to say? I think they're waiting, waiting on for Keaton, Keaton to, to figure come it around. Out. But then again, you know, Corey, I mean, you, you grew up in what Mahoning Valley and I grew up here in western Pennsylvania. So we know we know crappy weather, right? So I see a bunch of people around here buying Maseratis, and I, ju- I just look at them like, what are you doing? Where are you going to drive that? Like <laughs> yeah. Half the year, you can't even take that out of your garage, right? Well, Keaton Slovis, to me, has a ton of arm talent. And you just said it. 
you got a running back like Izzy Abanacanda just going off. Where are the run pass options? Where's the play action? Where are the short passes over the middle to take advantage of that? Mm-hmm. Like, wh- why aren't we sending him on a play action through the line to do a little curl over the middle? Like, yeah. th- there are ways that you can exploit something that is going well in your offense to help another struggling area. And that's something that I think they need to explore. And, and when you get to an off week like this, that's the kind of thing you kind of hope they are discovering. That's what this time can provide. And Pat Narduzzi, to his credit, has been good at that over the years. He has tended to come out of these uh, bye weeks with his team kind of firing on all cylinders. Perception is reality. Based on the eye test, have they passed your eye test, Gary? Has Pitt's offense passed your eye test through six games? No. No, and the defense is underwhelmed even more. Okay, which means in that building, the eye test probably has been failed from the offense and partially from the defense. So perception is reality. It's not, you know, if fans are seeing it, I'm sure they're seeing it. And, of course, when we ask, you know, Pat Narduzzi, whoever it is about it, they're going to try to mold it the way they can and, you know, say things are okay, whatever it is. Which sure. is fine, which is fine. But there's still the product on the field on Saturdays that we have to look at. You know, we've talked every week on this show leading into the bye week about, okay, we know Keaton and, and then uh, it, Nick Patty got hurt. Of course, the, the Nate Yarnell game against Western where he didn't really have to do much. Okay, Keaton comes back for Rhode Island. Great. But he didn't really do anything with it. Didn't really test the field. Didn't really throw it down the field. Didn't really take shots. Then you have Georgia Tech, which was a clunker. I mean, the stat, the the box score looked good for Keaton, but that offense was running through mud through three and a half quarters. And then, of course, with Rhode Island and Virginia Tech, it was all Izzy. All Izzy. So this offense has struggled week after week to find that rhythm. Jake Cradle and Keaton Slovis each said after the Virginia Tech game they felt that they were able to get some rhythm going. Which, when it comes to the drive chart, I think they only had one drive that was over five minutes long. So, did they? Let's find out and let's see what they can build off of coming out of this bye week and going into Louisville, which again, which Louisville team are you getting? Are you getting the the three wins or the three losses? They're right in the middle. They could be anywhere. So we'll see. I think they're the best ACC test they've faced yet. So we'll see how it goes. Yep. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that Pitt still has a very talented team. I do think they've underwhelmed. I think they've been injured, but all in all, I do think the bye week was well-timed for them because I think their roughest stretch is, is coming up here and it's a good time to get rested and hopefully healed up and schemed up a little bit come back a little bit stronger than they left. Anything else from you today, Corey? You know, no. Usually I do have something to add, but I don't think I do today. I'm just just kind of, I'm not going to say anxious, but I'm really curious to see, first off, what Pat Narduzzi has to say on Monday when we talk to him with his weekly press conference. They're all going to be back. And I'm curious to see, 
kind of the what's the word I'm looking for? Like the temperament of this team throughout the week. And of course, we'll talk to players and assistant coaches and we'll see what the mood is like out of the bye. I want to see what the mood is like still because I think we all needed a week and it wasn't just the players and it wasn't just, you know, taking a bye week midseason. I think we all needed to just like level off with this team. Right. And to like kind of let them simmer a little bit you know let him stew for a little bit and then we pop it back up so let's see how this team comes out this week and let's let's wait and hear what narduzzi and co have to say yeah that's a perfect way to end it you know except for the fact that we still have to say hell the pit <laughs>